0: Episode three of the DNC podcast, we've got some exciting topics to go over today. NFL schedule just released, normally not the most exciting thing in the world, but when you haven't had sports in a few months, you take what you can get. Clowney still on the market, what's going on there? Live sports are finally back. Will the UFC trend have other leagues follow? The NCA back at it again with the new Zion trend. Will this ever stop? Cole, how's your day going?
1: It's going great. Obviously, with the last dance, we get a dose every Sunday of something related to sports, which has been really amazing. So, I, obviously, a lot of people agree with that. And this has been an interesting time. We've never experienced this where we're not getting any live sports and we're taking documentaries as though they are live sports and we're running with them. So, it's been really a fascinating time. Really interesting documentary, of course. And we'll get into talking about episodes seven and eight. We've got the last episode of The Last Dance coming up this Sunday. So obviously, we've got the NFL releasing the schedule, which is really, to me, never a big deal, like you said. But now that there's no live sports, when you get information like this, that gives us kind of a maybe foreshadowing into what's to come for sports in 2020 because it's been so, it's been an anomaly this year. And I was really surprised to see the Patriots with the really the hardest schedule in the NFL. I don't know if that's punishment for all the years that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the Kraft family and the Patriots organization have completely dominated the NFL. But to me, it seems that way. In tank mode, in my opinion, maybe not. It's an inadvertent tank. They're not going to obviously come out. Bill's not going to say that they're tanking. They're on to Cincinnati. So I just think it's obvious the way they drafted the fact that they're not signing veteran quarterbacks that are on the market that could clearly help them win. Now they're supposedly all in on Jared Stidham, which I don't believe, but it's really interesting to me to see the NFL give them the hardest schedule in 2020.
0: That was honestly being a Patriots fan, the happiest part of the whole schedule breakdown because me and you have chatted about it before I'm all in on Trevor Lawrence. I think in my opinion, the best prospect since Andrew Luck and I I want to do anything to get him to your point. I don't think Bill would knowingly or purposely cheat. I think he's too competitive. I think his ego's too big. I think his biggest goal this year is having a better record than Tampa, which the fact that they're not playing this year is absolute ludicrous. But I'm super excited the Patriots' schedule is shaped the way it is because when you're looking at it, if any other team besides the quote-unquote Patriots had that schedule, you'd have them going four and twelve.
1: Yeah, well, we talked about this this past weekend, and I thought you brought up a great point immediately when the schedule was released that New England not playing Tampa Bay was a big shocker, and I agree with that because, to me, the NFL is about making money, right, for Roger Goodell and the, the hierarchy of, of people that oversee the NFL. Their, their final goal is, of course, to make the most money that they can. And, and with this 2020 year being such an anomaly with sports, it was really eye-opening to me to see the NFL not opt for that game because everybody wants to see that. So, from an advertising perspective, from from viewership perspective, from just different um, television outlets that would abide to fight for that game, that to me seems like a win-win for everybody because everybody's going to want to tune in and watch that. So. I don't know why the league didn't give us what we wanted. I don't know if it's because New England's not going to be as competitive this year or so we think based on what's on paper and maybe go for the 2021 matchup because obviously he signed a two year deal with Tampa Bay. So he's going to get one more year in Tampa. So maybe the following year, do we see Tom Brady and and the Buccaneers go up against Trevor Lawrence and the New England Patriots?
0: Yeah, for me, it's funny. I mean, the NFL is a very storyline driven league, whether it's the MVP, whether it's the rookie of the year, whether it's a darling team, the NFL sports in general, they're made around storylines. And to me, there's not too many storylines you can think of going into the season because there hasn't been that much hype because there hasn't been that many sports. And so the normal things you talk about, you know, following the NFL draft, leading up to the summer, that's all on the back burner because you don't know when training camp is going to start. As of right now, we assume the season is going to start as scheduled, but you, but you never know. And so for me, it's like, when you have an easy thing like that, where that's a Monday night football game, a Sunday night football game, heck you could put that on Thursday night football. It will still be a top five rated game. I have, I have no idea what Goodell was thinking when normally he's really, really smart when it comes to getting his money.
1: So, On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, the Baltimore Ravens have the easiest schedule of 2020, which is really – it's going to be fun to watch because you and I have both had conversations about Lamar Jackson. We actually really like him as a player, but we're not sure if he's going to have a long-term career at the quarterback position. And again, this is not – this isn't throwing shade at him playing running back. It's just a matter of eye test. And is he an incredible athlete? Absolutely. Can he do some amazing things on the football field from the quarterback position? absolutely. Did he prove that he can make NFL throws last year? Yeah, he did. But I think when we look at the sports world and people overall, they love to play Monday morning quarterback. And we see one year and it's like, this guy's the greatest player. I see that he has the second best odds to winning MVP this upcoming year behind Patrick Mahomes. And I just think we always need to pump the brakes. I even said this, you and I talked about Patrick Mahomes last year. I was like, okay, he did it for one year through 50 touchdowns, one league MVP, obviously lost to Tom Brady and your your beloved New England Patriots uh, in the AFC championship. So I was like, okay, like let's, Tom Brady has, he said this in his documentary on Tom versus time, which is if you guys haven't watched it, it's on Facebook watch. It's really a good, um, a good thing to tune into, especially during these times, super fascinating behind the scenes, look at his life and just his overall approach to the game of football. And he said, It's easy to be great for one year, but can you be great over a long period of time? And I think that's why we view Tom the way we do. Obviously, there's fruit on the field that he's the greatest quarterback ever, but we can all definitely agree that he's not the most talented. Like, There's been guys that have come before him that are far more talented, but they haven't learned to play the quarterback position like Tom has played it. And so I look at a guy like Lamar Jackson who had a great year and was incredibly fun to watch but I want to see this over the course of the next three to five years when defenses and defensive coordinators scheme for their offense. So it's going to be interesting to see him and his production this year. If he ends up having a better year or a worse year than he did last year with the easiest schedule in the NFL, there's definitely going to be some questions raised. I'm not saying he's going to lose his job, but, there's really no excuse at this point. And they've had arguably one of the best off seasons this year.
0: Yeah. I think for me, it has less to do with Lamar. It's more for me when I see someone come into a league that's been played very similarly for the past 50 years, and they have a new system that quote unquote changes the landscape of the game. And it changes the way you play the game. For me, it's a huge red flag. And how quick are we going to say, Oh, this, like this just revolutionized the game of football not even like Lamar specific. I even think of like the Rams two years ago, right? The Rams two years ago when they played New England, Sean McVay had this new system that was going to change the game of football. He legit got seven people head coaching jobs that never would have even got interviewed. Jared Goff has an amazing season. And basically their system was a very simplified system that basically only had two or three personnel sets with very limited reads. And what it did is it let a younger quarterback like Jared Goff Just make really quick decisions. And the first year really running that system, it worked well because nobody had saw it. And then in the Super Bowl, you saw a team like New England that had a very veteran defense and had two weeks to game plan just on that. Because as you know, in the NFL, you have a game Sunday. You're normally off Monday, Tuesday. Sometimes you'll come in Wednesday. You're not like overly prepping for each individual team as a whole. It's more like what do they do best. And it's overall your philosophy. But week in and week out, you don't have this much time to put into it and so it's really the second year when the adjustments were made and we saw what happened to the Rams this year for me for the Ravens the way they played offense last year was so much different than every other team and so much of it was so much of the big passing plays were um, created from the play action and the different like almost gimme plays for me my thought is you give an NFL team a whole offseason to study that, there is going to be a step back. The biggest question mark I have is, is their step back, are they a 10-win team or are they a 6-win team? And for me, Lamar is extremely talented, but the type of offense they had, I don't know if that's going to consistently win football games. And unless he can develop into more of a cerebral quarterback that's going back, dropping, and going through progression, pro- progressions, I feel like the gimity type system at some point um, throughout the history of the league, those always get exploited.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that's a great and a valid point that it's not just the running quarterback that we have issues with. It's, it's really anytime there's a new scheme introduced. I mean, let's let's even talk about Arizona with Kyler. He's, he's being lumped into the MVP race this year. He has the lowest odds of winning it, but he's still in there. And I just think, okay, why is a guy like Deshaun Watson not in that category? Like, why is Kyler in that before Deshaun? Deshaun's been doing it a lot longer. He's consistently been really, really good. He's now put himself, I believe, into that top 10 and maybe top seven in the NFL. And we're talking about Kyler one year in the NFL in this system, which didn't even deliver at Texas Tech. Like, statistically, they put up a lot of numbers, but Tech didn't win. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury didn't even have a winning record at Texas Tech. So there's really no proof that that is going to work in the NFL because it didn't work in college. And so my biggest thing with Lamar, and it's going to be the same thing with Kyler, is can they make the adjustments when the defenses adjust? That's the biggest thing for me. Because here's the thing. That's, that's the evolution of playing the quarterback position. You're going you're gonna to grow and develop intellectually, learn defenses, learn how to read defenses faster. The game's going to slow down for you. So in, and in essence, the, your production and your overall play should rise. And if you can't adjust guys like Colin Kaepernick, guys like RG three, these guys were one hit wonders because they were naturally super talented, but they were true system players. Like people say Brady was a system quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, RG three, those guys are system quarterbacks and they didn't. Learn to play the actual quarterback position, which is why they struggled to adjust when defense is adjusted to them. So that's that's like my biggest thing with this year, seeing Kyler and Lamar essentially both in year two. Obviously, Lamar's had an extra year in the NFL, but he he took over later in the year in his rookie year. Um, so it's going to be fascinating, honestly, to watch that unfold. But uh, to, to your point though, like where does that go for them as far as are they going to be are they going to win 14 games again? Or are they going to win 10? Are they going to win? eight, like I think this year's division for them is, is going to be, I mean, the, the FC North is, is going to be far better.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at it last year, Steelers, I think big Ben got injured around week three. Don't quote me on it, but it was
1: relatively early in the season, right? Everyone yeah, I think knows it was Cleveland, week two. I think he got yeah. hurt after week two. Yeah.
0: Everyone knew Cleveland had a lot of talent last year, but they didn't have the coach that could really get the most from that group. And so you're expecting them to at least be a little bit better. I think worst case scenario, I'm so 50-50 on Cleveland. I think it's a culture thing, and I don't know if this new coach fixes the culture, but I think at least talent-wise, they have to be an 8-8 and team. And then Cincinnati, Cincinnati was playing last year like they weren't trying to win, and I have to think with the resurgent, they have a head coach who now has his quarterback, whether you're huge on Burrow or not. The coach picked his quarterback. He's going to run his system. They probably win anywhere from four to five games. And so the system, it's going to be a little bit better. And then their schedule is weak, but they still do have some tough teams. I mean, they still play Kansas city. They play Houston. They play the Colts who are a pretty good team overall. Now I think Tennessee will be down a little bit. Jacksonville, obviously giants are still a year or two away with them playing um, the NFC East. But yeah, I think for me, I look at them and I think, I think they're probably a nine and seven team. Now with the expanded format, do I think they have a really good shot at making the playoffs a wildcard team? I do, but I think between them and Cleveland and Steelers, they're probably eyeing for one or two playoff spots kind of in the wild card, but I all see them right around nine and seven. My thought is I still have to give the leg up to Pittsburgh because they've been there so often. And the way they were able to get so much out of that team last year without really having a quarterback, they had so many injuries, running back, secondary, different things like that. I think you give them Big Ben's healthy. I thought they had a pretty solid draft. I think they're a lot better. I think Cleveland's better. And so I do think they have a shot, but people saying they're going to go 14-2, 13-3. They're going to do exactly what they did last year. I don't think there's anything historical that have proved that. I mean, RG3, his first year in the league, he went 10-6. and six. Granted, he was hurt the next year. But he just – people, they learned the system. Cam had one really good year in Carolina where they had this spread out system where he kind of did what he did at Auburn, and then teams got used to that. Whenever you try to gimmick your system to make it work, it may work, and that's kind of like your window. You have that one year to win in the NFL, and if you don't win it that year, it's just you're kind of past your window. I think the case people make for like Colin Kaepernick is – Colin Kaepernick, like the system he played in, it wasn't really built around him. The 49ers system was a John Harbaugh system where they just ran the rock. And so Colin Kaepernick could do what he did when he got out of the pocket, but they didn't make a system around Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick fit into their system, and that's part of the reason why he had a winning record when John Harbaugh was there for the three years he started John Harbaugh leaves and they go five and 11 the next year because the system wasn't made around Colin Kaepernick, the systems that are made about these quarterbacks where they're really one dimensional, they really don't put you in a position where you can, um, kind of mold and shape to the changing defenses around you.
1: Yeah. So I know you were, you're referring to, to Jim Harbaugh, but, um, I, I just, this, this division to me, like you mentioned about Pittsburgh, right? They're, They've got Big Ben. I mean, they they were a playoff team up until Week Seventeen last year, basically on their third string quarterback or fourth string quarterback. So I, they're just going to be incredibly improved from a year ago. They're getting their Hall of Fame quarterback back. Juju's going to be back. James Conner going to be back. Those both those all three of those guys were hurt the majority of the year, and so and then obviously Cleveland. This is going to be the, t- the the year for them to basically. Uh, tell us, are they for real or, or are they just a bunch of talent on paper? So and then speaking of talent, Jadavian Clowney has unexpectedly, I would say, uh, has gone unsigned during this offseason, which I think a lot of people thought he would have been signed by now easily for 20 plus a year. You're seeing guys like Demarcus Lawrence get paid. And I know Miles Garrett's about to get paid by Cleveland. He's supposedly getting around 25 a year. And so with Jadavian, there's a lot of different factors with him. You obviously have injury, past injury history, you have lack of production. And he had a year in Seattle this year that he had three and a half sacks, I believe. But there's a lot more to being an edge pass rusher than just sacks. I think that's a statistic that we get hung up on. And that's kind of how we gauge players um, that that are that are edge pass rushers is how many sacks do they have? If, if they have double digit sacks, then they're worthy of, you know, a hundred million dollar contract. But if it's anything below that, then they kind of get marginalized. So I don't know what your thoughts on Jadavian not being signed right now. Cause to me, it's really, it's really a, a perplexing situation because I don't think that there are teams that look at Jadavian and go, Oh, we can't use his services.
0: Yeah. To me, it's interesting when i when I look at it in a vacuum, it doesn't make sense. But when I break it down, kind of how I look at this, I think there's a few things. I think there's trends we've seen over the NFL. I think Khalil Mack gets that mega deal from the Bears, right? And the Bears signed Khalil Mack. And now all of a sudden they're like a Super Bowl contender. And, yeah, it made their defense really good. But Khalil Mack's a different type of player than Jadavion Clowney. Now, do I think that sacks indicate everything? For year, though. Like,
1: you know, for, yeah, for, for, year. for one year. And then this year, it was like Mac disappeared.
0: Yeah, and they also had a really good front seven around him. So it's like one edge rusher isn't going to do everything for you. Now, if you have a good defensive line, you have a good linebacking core, then that edge rusher can put you over the top. But I also think, I think sacks are, although they're not the most important thing, I think at the end of the day, like, that's what gets the number higher. And the Dave and Clowney, like, The play he's so famously known for is that play at South Carolina where he knocked out that running back behind the line of scrimmage. He's a tremendous athlete. He's actually a really good like all-around defensive end. He's probably one of the best all-around defensive ends in the NFL when you think of how well he plays the run as well as how good he is at rushing the quarterback. The issue is you don't get paid that much to play the run, whether it's right or wrong. It just doesn't work that way. Then you look at, the amount of injuries he's had, he's kind of been somewhat of a diva where he wanted to get out of Houston, which didn't completely make sense because he still had time on his contract. They were a winning team. He goes to Seattle. I don't think he has the impact people want. And then he tries to hardball them. I mean, Seattle offers him around $18 million a year. He wants initially, he says, Hey, I'll take a discount to play with the winner. They offer him $18 million, which is really, really good for the state of where the NFL is right now. He rejects it. Then they sign a few other players to really solidify the defensive front. And now if he wants to go back there, he's only going to probably get in that 12 to 14 range. And so for me, it's an interesting situation. I think on talent, he's definitely like worth the money compared to what other people have got at the position. I'm honestly not a hundred percent sure why Adele hasn't got done yet.
1: Yeah. I don't either, to be honest. Cause there's a lot of teams that, like I said, could use his services. Like I look at a team like Cleveland, who has Miles Garrett on one side and and think of it this way if they sign him to a one year deal, then you can basically see how that works out. It's an experimental thing where you have Miles Garrett on one side and Jadavian on the other, and you really solidify your defensive line there. And they've got really a young core of defensive talent. Obviously, they took Denzel Ward last year, two years ago, and he was he's been a shutdown corner ever since he's stepped foot on the on the on the NFL field. So I think a team like that could use him. And if he's willing to come in for like one year, 20, then I think you take that you take that chance. And if he pans out, then you can maybe sign him to a longer contract next off season. And Brent, the Browns have a lot of cap space. So that's a team to me that it makes a lot of sense. Now, the point you made is, is great. Like these guys are getting paid. Their value is based on sacks because they are edge pass rushers. But I also think like what I would argue is that you can have an impact on the game that won't show up in the stat sheet. That's really, to me, priceless. Like if you look, if you looked at the two games that Seattle played San Francisco last year, Jadavian Clowney didn't have any sacks. I think he might have had one sack in one of the games, if I remember correctly. But he was a force. Like he constantly applied pressure to Jimmy Garoppolo. He, like you said, he's a great uh, run player from the defensive inside. And he to me is somebody that, even if he's not going to give you double digit sacks, he's going to have so much of a presence on one side of the field that he's going to cause teams to game plan. He's going to cause teams to go, hey, there's 90. We need to make sure we know where he's at at all times. And if you can cause a team to have to think about a player and it throws them off their game plan, even if it's just a third of that, I think that's impactful. So now I don't necessarily. Think that he deserves to get a long term contract because I don't think he's he has the fruit to prove that. But if there's a team that's willing to go, hey, like Cleveland, like, hey, we'll give you one year 20, it's a basically a one-year rental experiment to see if this guy is worth a long term contract. And if it ends up working out in their scheme with their defense, then maybe you sign him to a long year deal. But I don't, I don't know why he hasn't been signed. Like it to me, it's baffling because you and I have talked about what we believe is the way to build a team, and it's from the inside out. And the the one player that we think on the defensive side that's super vital is having an elite pass rusher. And whether you say he's elite or not, based on the statistics, athletically, there's not many guys like him. So from that standpoint, as a GM like Cleveland, if I'm if with a new head coach, and you've got a really, 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 really strong roster, and you add one more piece... To me, you got yourself, you got yourself a team that I think is already poised to make a run. Not at the Super Bowl, but I think this—if they're going to make a run at the playoffs, this is their year. And you add a guy like Jadavian Clowney to your defense, and I just think it shores things up a little bit more.
0: No, I actually love the Clowney signing for Cleveland. I think they have thirty-five million on the cap space. For them, it's a no-brainer. I think it's more of a clowny thing. I think he probably has select markets where he wants to go, or he thinks his values at a certain place where other people don't. Because I'd be shocked. I think Cleveland was like one of the dark horse teams looking to sign him. To me, like I don't see, I don't see them not making that offer. So to me, I more think is him not getting signed maybe an indication on him being too picky on too many markets or what because I know Miami was going to offer him like 22 million dollars a year and he was like hey I don't want to go to a rebuilding place I'll take a pay cut to go to a contending team which was kind of funny because he kind of was on a contending team in Houston before he got traded and they kind of blew up the whole roster so I don't
1: and then he's uh, he's on a contender with Seattle so to yeah. me it, it really I think money is more of a priority to him which is totally fine but I don't think it's necessarily a matter of true contender because if it was absolutely about that, he would re-sign with Seattle because I think, like you said, they gave him 18 a year. That's a really good contract. So I think at this point he's seen how the free agency markets played out for him. I see him signing a one-year deal with the team, betting on himself, trying to have a great year and then trying to cash in next year in free agency. I just don't really see him getting a long-term contract at this point. I, I think it would have already happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things to move on from Clowney that we're all hoping comes back eventually is live sports in general. Obviously the UFC had their first live fight last weekend, no fans um, in the audience. It was actually really funny. I remember reading an article before the fight saying that they're going to do a really good job of cleaning the, I guess, arena be- between each fight. And before the second start fight, there's blood everywhere. No wipe down, you straight into it. But, I mean, it's a UFC, so what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, Dana White's so funny. Like, he was pushing the envelope pretty hard during the beginning of this whole coronavirus situation. And he was holding to his guns that they were going to fight. And they were going to find a way to do that before he finally came out and said, all right, like, we're going to shut it down temporarily. But to me, I think it's great for sports. Because for a sport like that where – there is, like you said, there's going to be disposal of blood. There's, there's going to be, um, you know, two, two people, you know, going at it personally, they're
0: a little closer uh, than they're, they're,
1: they're engaging and physically, like they're touching each other, they're punching each other, There's sweat, you know, there's open wounds. So to me, it's a, it's, if there's a, Perfect sport to kick this off. To me, it's the UFC because it's basically going to give us a lot of feedback on what's possible for a sport like basketball or football or baseball or hockey. And so, my, I'm excited because not just because UFC's back, but because I think it's going to be a trend that other sports are going to follow suit. And we've obviously seen that the NBA and Adam Silver they've been trying to work out. A variety of different scenarios where they could come back and finish the season. I know they said they were going to do like a four week training camp to get players kind of back into basketball shape or close to back to basketball shape and then go straight into the end of the season and then start the playoffs. And then I know the NHL is they've closed off any travel outside the U.S. So essentially any of the teams that would be, you know, for example, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, you're going you're gonna to obviously have to stay in the United States. But these, these leagues are really trying to figure out different ways and creative ways to, to come back and, and resume their seasons. I mean, the NBA is contemplating playing at Disney World, so they're really, they're really thinking of all options here.
0: I hate to be like a pessimist, but I don't know if any of it's coming back. I don't think baseball will be back this year. I just think you look at the time window. They're talking about the NBA. They're not going to have a decision until July. So say in July they decide, hey, end of July we're going to start training camp you start training camp in August and then you have maybe September, November, December playoffs for baseball. You start your season in August. I mean, that's a month or two before the postseason starts. And I just think, I think timeline wise, I don't see us having a baseball season. I'm still skeptical that like, if I was going to bet, I don't think the NBA comes back this year. I hope it does. I think it would be awesome. I still think that, There's still so much unknown. What happens if they do the bubble theory, right, at Disney World? Where the idea the NBA was saying was every single team is going to be housed in one area. It's going to be secluded to them, their family, their trainers. Nobody can leave this area. All the games will be played there. But what happens if one person in the bubble gets sick? Then do you shut it back off? How do you contain it? I feel like there's still so much unknown.
1: Yeah, Adam Silver said that essentially what their process would be is if somebody ended up testing positive for COVID-19, they would quarantine that player and then they would test everybody and then they would continue. So I, from my, from my side, I'm very actually uh, optimistic. I think there's, because there's been so much conversation, a lot more than what we have been told about different scenarios and it potentially returning to hockey and football and, or sorry, basketball and, and baseball never even got a chance to start. So I think, there's definitely going to be a start to these seasons. These at the end of the day, we hate to say it, but these leagues are losing so much money and they're going to do whatever they can to salvage that within the confines of keeping everybody as safe and healthy as possible. There's been enough, look, we're not health experts, but there's been enough data that's come out to where we can't just continue to live in fear and not act like, There's tons of doctors coming out saying like, we got to get back to normal life. We got to get back out. So it's somebody's going to have to like the UFC lead charge and start. And then we can gather data and we can figure out what works and what doesn't work. We can't just sit here in fear and go, okay, we're just not going to do anything because we don't know what's going to happen. So for the fear of the unknown, we're just going to, we're going to stay idle. And so I think from that standpoint, you're gonna see leagues go okay we've 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 shut down things for a couple of months by the time I think either the n b a or the n h l would start it's gonna be over three months that it's that we've been on pause, and so I don't see them not starting something because waiting until the fall isn't it, it's there's not gonna be a enough of a change in the virus or the information. It's just going to be more data in terms of we're going to have more numbers, but the virus is going to be the virus. Like we can't wait till this thing's eradicated before we start sports. So to me, if they're thinking about starting in the fall, like the NBA's talked about the 2020-21 season would start in December. Like to me, I don't see how there's enough of a discrepancy with starting in June or maybe the beginning of July and December. There's just not enough there in my opinion, to warrant not starting now. So I think really, in my opinion, where we're seeing an issue is, of course, the health concerns, the locations. But I think nobody wants to be the first one to step out and do it. Because if it if something goes wrong, then people are going to point the finger at that league because they're going to be the ones that decided to step out and start. So I, from my side... I, I really do hope sports come back, and I am optimistic that they will. I think it's going to look different, but that's obvious. But at least we're going to get sports again.
0: I think the scary thing for me, and like what honestly terrifies me with the whole, like what the NBA is going to do, is say you go into the playoffs and round one, like LeBron tests positive. You know, like you get a Lake, you get a Lakers team minus LeBron, or you have Portland and Damian Lillard's out, or you have, you know,
1: Kawhi's out with the Clippers. Yeah, or That type of thing. I think for Game me, it's just like,
0: for. yeah, I think like if people are going to come out and they're going to possibly miss series to me, like, I don't get all that makes sense, but if that's what they're going to do, that's what we're going to do. I think when you think of that and you think about championships, it's one thing for someone to like get injured and that happens, but there's certain people who get, you know, the virus and, they say you carry it and you have no idea. There's certain people that have it, and obviously, especially if you have like prior health conditions, there's you know extreme fear and uncertainty. But for me, if like what we're gonna do is just say like, hey, if your temperature is 102.3, that's a symptom of the virus, you can't play in this playoff series. To me, that doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, but think about it this way. Essentially, what they've come out and said is this is very similar in terms of numbers and data to the common flu. So if if that is, in fact, true, which there's data to prove that, then when we play any season, that's a possibility where a guy could get sick, he could get the flu, he could be diagnosed with a, a myriad of things. And that could cause him cost him the ability to play. So it's the same thing. It's the same situation. They're not I concerned. The,
0: to me, I think the difference though is like if you have the flu, like Michael Jordan, for example, if you have the common flu, they're going to let you play through that. Right. There's been players who Philip Rivers played a game with the torn ACL. I mean, there's been players. Michael Jordan played the flu game, like his most famous game because it was considered the common cold. I think the difference w- between this is like you don't have the option to play. It's not like, hey, it's your choice to play or not, and you take, you know, ownership or responsibility for if something happens, they're flat out saying, hey, if you're sick, you can't play. And I think that's different than other leagues where there's plenty of times where people may be sick and they play. To me, maybe they come back. It's just, to me, it's a scary thing where you could have a playoff scenario where you could have seven of the best 10 basketball players in the world not eligible to play because they have a
1: temperature over 102. No, that's a good point. I I think, I think I better understand where you're coming from in terms of it's not so much that they wouldn't have the ability in terms of themselves, their physical ability to play through that virus. It's a matter of the league just not even giving them the option, whereas with the yeah. flu, they would they would probably give them the option to play. So I think that is a good point. And that would be again. I think that's a risk you have to take, though. So, yeah, do you sure. do you again going back to what I was saying? Do you just not play in fear of that happening? Which I think, again, the fact that we haven't had sports, it's not. I don't believe it'll affect ratings. Like if LeBron's not able to play because he get di- he gets p- positively diagnosed with COVID, I don't think it's going to affect ratings because people want sports so bad that they're going to watch anyway. Now, will it suck for LeBron? Of course, because he's trying to get another ring. So from that standpoint, yeah, absolutely. But again, I'm just saying if we're going, if that's the thought process of we're not going to return to sports until this thing's eradicated or it's basically gone, then we're going to be without sports for quite, quite some time. So, but what I, what I too think that we need to jump into is talking about the NCAA, because we've seen over the years, so many different cases come out um, about players receiving compensation from whether it be the universities Um, agents, boosters, different brands, and obviously there's a big headline coming out about Zion Williamson and his actually pre-Duke years of him receiving compensation from uh, Nike and Adidas. And also what's pretty surprising to me is that not so much the money or the endorsement money or Anything of that nature. What's surprising is actually how early they were trying to make this happen. If these allegations are in fact true, these were happening like earlier in his high school days. So it wasn't even like just to get him to go to Duke. This was like prior to that. So they were obviously projecting that he was going to be a star and they wanted to get him signed as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. I've heard like one of the scariest things when you think of like money, how much money is spent is the amount of money spent from like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour on AAU teams of kids who are eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, juniors, seniors in high schools. And the whole idea is getting them in a Nike program. That way they end up going to a Nike university. So if you play for like a Nike AAU team, then you're going to go to Oregon, right? Or you're going to go to USC, you're going to go to Stanford. If you play on an Adidas team, you're going to go to Kansas or Louisville and stuff like that and shuffling all this money. And then the hope is if you go to Kansas, then if you make it as a star in the NBA, um, you're going to sign with Adidas and they kind of like get to take you on that path. To me, I don't I don't think anything stops it from happening. I think that the, the actual brands pain athletes i don't think that stops i think the ncaa what they're doing and their corruption as far as like not letting student athletes until this year market themselves i don't agree with that at all but i think the the nikes and the adidas and the underarmers i think there's just so much money on if you can have the next star the amount of money that brand jordan is going to get over the next 15 years of zion williamson being the face of that brand It's worth whatever fine they get. And so because of that and the amount of money in sports, I don't think anything stops this from happening.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I think you're referring to the the rule change going into 2021 that college athletes can profit from their likeness. And so we all I think agree as former athletes and people that love sports that collegiate athletes deserve to get paid. Now the argument, I think, is not whether or not they should get paid, but the argument could be made is how that plays out. So what's the structure of that? Is there a limitation to what these players can make? Is there, are they allowed to get endorsements? Are they, you know, Do schools only get so many players that can actually profit off their likeness? So there's just a lot of different factors there. But with the whole Zion situation, he's a guy, to me, that is very likable. His personality, his smile, he's very humble. He kind of reminds me a little bit in terms of just the quietness about him and the humility is like a Kawhi Leonard. Now I think he's a lot more relatable in terms of his personality. Like I really there's a reason why people call Kawhi Leonard boardman, but I don't think he's that stale, but he's very much the type of superstar that people can fall in love with because he's not about himself. He's about the team. Um, he's not about personal statistics or accolades. He he wants to win. And I think there's something very honorable and likable about that. So with this situation, I think it exposes more about the NCAA structure and that they've really kind of forced this outcome. It was inevitable because of the way they structured things and all of their restrictions on recruiting and, and talking to agents and and brands and just all those different olive branches that extend to recruiting an individual player, it's created this scenario where it was inevitable that players were going to get the opportunity to make money off their likeness. So I don't have an issue with players profiting from that. I have an issue with the fact that the NCAA has basically tried to make this a... <laughs> A situation. I'll put it this way: a situation where they've got everybody working underneath them, and while they sit up top and do nothing, and basically you have guys like Zion Williamson who generated thirty-one nationally televised games, who basically carried the sport of college basketball. I mean, I know I don't know about you, Dust, but I, I don't care about college basketball until March Madness. But we cared because Zion played. Yeah, I
0: think the hardest thing for me when you think about like athletes that get paid is there's such a selective amount of people that really drive revenue. Like there's programs that drive revenue. Like Alabama football drives revenue. There's not really ever been a player. Even Tua was, he was a fun player to watch, but he wasn't this like generational star type of talent. Like the people that drive revenue is a Reggie Bush or a Johnny Menzel or a Tim Tebow Tebow or a Zion, like there's been great players that have been at Duke um, that weren't Zion, but they didn't move the gauge. I mean, Ben Simmons was a great player at LSU, but he, he didn't drive people to watch LSU basketball, right? Jabari Parker was a great player at Duke. Andrew Wiggins was a great player at Kansas. They weren't driving this. I think this the, the hard thing is there's only a, a, such a limited amount of people that really drive the revenue. How is that just um, dis- You know, how is that spread out among everybody? And then also the only sports that really drive the revenue is probably, I would say, 70% football, 30% basketball, but no other sports really driving the revenue. So how does that work? Do you give money to wrestling or do you give money to soccer or to swimming or to track and field? How does that work? To me, it seems like it's a really messy thing if the NCAA is dictating the terms. I think it's more where you tell athletes, hey, if you want to market yourself, you can do it and kind of leave it to them, whether you want to make a shirt with the number two and you're doing the Heisman pose and you want to make a website and sell it? I think that type of format makes sense, but I think once the NCAA starts really putting their stamp of approval on it, I think it's going to get really, really messy.
1: Agreed. So we're going to get into, uh, we introduced this segment last week, but we're calling it the DC inbox, where we allow our community to chime in and leave us different topics and questions they would like us to cover on the show. And this week, we had um, a gentleman named Dallas, and he had asked us to talk about our analysis on the later round QBs this year from the 2020 NFL draft, specifically Jake Fromm, James Morgan, and Ben DiNucci. And Jake Fromm is an interesting prospect because I don't think he's going to wow you physically. Like He doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't have great deep ball accuracy. He's not overly big, but he was a winner. And he's incredibly cerebral from the quarterback position. And you're getting a guy that between the ears is ready for the NFL, but I don't think his actual physical traits are ready for the NFL. And I think he went to the perfect place. He went to Buffalo where he's not going to have to be the starter. He's in a great culture with a great young coach and he has no pressure on him to be the future franchise quarterback. They already have a franchise quarterback. So If Josh Allen doesn't pan out down the road, you might potentially have a guy that will come in and be your starter. But I don't see him as a guy that's ever going to be an elite-level quarterback. I know a lot of scouts really are kind of looking at him as a potential superstar in the NFL, which I don't see the fruit or evidence of that in college. And we've seen guys in the past not have that evidence but still go on to be NFL superstars. I just don't see it with Jake Fromm.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, he's Matt Barkley, right? You look at USC, Matt Barkley, junior year, has some really big games, beat Andrew Luck head-to-head, nighttime game Saturday night. He goes to the NFL draft his first year. I mean, sorry, his junior year. He's easily a, a top five pick, maybe the first pick. You look at Jake Fromm, who was on the most talented Georgia team since the stafford Shawn Marino teams back in the day, right? Yeah. His junior year where he has... Uh, Sonny Michelle, he has Nick Chubb, he has Calvin Ridley, Right, all this talent around him has a great junior year, probably would have been a a first-round, maybe second-round draft pick when you look at the only quarterbacks that were really coming out that year were Kyler Murray, who was going number one because of his relationship with Cliff, but then Daniel Jones probably 50-50 got the shot because of the the Manning relationship, right? so he probably would have been a first-round pick, then he stays for another year. To me, if I'm an athlete, and maybe I'd be a horrible team player, you have to be selfish in this situation, especially. Well, he had. If,
1: well, he had to stay another year. He was a junior this year, oh, so he, he was. To, oh, yeah. Then he, that's my bad. He, yeah, so he's he's an underclassman, but okay. but but still, I, I I love that comparison between him and Matt Barkley because not so much again about the draft position, but he's a guy that. Matt Barkley wasn't physically talented like he was a an incredible high school quarterback was one of the highest rated recruits of all time coming out of high school but if you looked at his game he didn't have the strongest arm he wasn't the most accurate he definitely wasn't the biggest guy he wasn't the most athletic and I I feel the same way about Jake Fromm so I love that comparison
0: yeah I think for me the biggest point my apologies for getting the, uh, the junior year thing wrong is for me there's there's so much that can change year to year and it's really like knowing your value and so for him it's it's just a bummer overall when you go from hey i could have been a first round draft pick because of the talent around me and then you drop all the way to the the sixth round but i think the situation he's in in buffalo i think he's really going to be set up for success james morgan's interesting to me i think from the jets they had such a disaster last year with sam Darnold once he got monoliths out um they had luke falk they had trevor simeon They basically had no one playing quarterback when Sam Darnold was out. And, you know, I'm not the biggest advocate of Sam Darnold, but I think you look at a guy like James Morgan, who has an absolute rocket arm. Um, Adam Gase is a guy who likes talent around him, especially at the quarterback position. So I think that pick was really – it's no competition to Darnold. I think they still think Darnold's their guy, but James Morgan from a talent standpoint is a great safety net to have, especially when you had nothing really at the backup position uh, last season.
1: Yeah, he's the most intriguing out of this out of this bunch because I believe that Fromm is going to be the safest pick. I think he'll have a solid NFL career. He might start a little bit here and there, but I think he'll, for the most part, be a journeyman backup. But I think he'll be a really solid backup. Maybe a guy like Case Keenum, just a, a solid career um, as a backup quarterback. But James Morgan, like you said, is physically gifted, 6'4", 230. I mean, he's what you look for in, in a prototypical quarterback these days. Um, and he's got an elite arm. He does obviously lack the ability to, um, you know, be accurate at times. And he's not the most athletic guy. But he grew up a huge – he grew up in Wisconsin, so he grew up a huge Packers fan, huge fan of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And so I think his game definitely doesn't relate to those two, but he's a guy that has the same gunslinger mentality as them. And so if, if he can kind of fine-tune some of the – flaws in his game with footwork and just being better with decision-making and work on his accuracy. He's a guy that is very, very raw. But if you can, again, if Adam Gase can get this guy to develop, you might have something here. And so he's the most intriguing one out of this bunch. And then you got Ben DiNucci to the Cowboys, where I just see this as you're getting a late-round quarterback. um, You're adding quarterback depth. I I don't see much in his game that's going to translate to being an elite quarterback in the NFL, or being even a starter for that, for that, um, as that goes. But I, I really do think that you have to take these guy type of guys, in the later rounds to give you just additional currency at the quarterback position. Because again, with a guy like Dak, you don't know what's going to happen with that. And then you're going to have Andy Dalton, of course, as the backup there, potential starter. So I, I just see this as the Cowboys getting getting some um, insurance policy for the quarterback position and, and for the depth chart, but his game, he, he's not, he had one game at James Madison that where he threw over 300 yards. He's not the biggest guy. He's his lower half. He's kind of skinnier. So I don't see him as a guy that's going to be able to break a lot of tackles within the pocket or create a lot with his legs. And um, so I think he's, he could potentially be uh, a solid backup if he develops, but I don't see him as, as a start in the NFL at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, the reason they took Ben is at that time, besides Dak, who hasn't even signed yet, The only other quarterback they had is Cooper Rush. So when they drafted Ben, they had no idea that Andy Dalton was going to become available. I think most people thought if Andy Dalton got cut, he was probably going to go to a situation like New England where he can at least fight for a starting job. You did not think you were going to get Andy Andy Dalton coming off the street on a one-year deal. great point. And so I think that most quarterbacks carry three guys in the camp and sometimes onto their roster. And so I think that was more of a necessity pick in the later rounds. All you have is Cooper Rush. And now it will be an interesting battle between those two to see who makes that final depth chart spot at the quarterback position.
1: Guys, thanks for listening in to episode three. Please rate, subscribe, share these episodes. It means so much to us that you would even take time to listen in. We wanna give you the content that you want. So please continue to reach out to us on social media and give us your topic ideas or questions you would like us to cover because we will actually include them in our show. So we just, again, thank you so much for being a part. and We'll see you next week.